Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Got the habit of saving. Now, how do I take this to the next level and where can I actually take this to so I can actually get more financial freedom? This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum, and in this episode, we're chatting with Anubhav Agraval, a seasoned property investor, buyer's agent, and engineer. Originally born and raised in India, Agraval came to Australia to complete his master's and found a new passion in property. Keep listening to learn how he balances his full-time job with running his property business. Before moving to Australia over a decade ago, Agraval was born, raised and educated in India. I have actually come to Australia about 15 years ago and prior to that, I've obviously I hailed from India. Uh, from a very well-known city called Pune and it is, if, you, if those who don't are not aware, it's very close to Mumbai and, and pretty much, uh, you know, a very western, west, westernized and a cosmopolitan crowd that I actually grew up in. Um, whilst, uh, you know, from a birthplace perspective, I, I'm born in, up in North India and, and then uh, grew pretty much in west side of the India, which is where Mumbai Pune is, and got through my childhood um, in that space and did my education, um, graduation in in India before I came here 15 years ago to do my master's in, in engineering. He explains why of all the places in the world to continue his education, he decided to come to Australia. Well, there was actually my my cousin brother used to live here in Australia prior to me coming here, and he did his bachelor's here, and he talked a lot about Australia. I had a few friends come to Australia to visit, and they talked about the country and how beautiful it is. The people are amazing. You should be visiting there. And I said, well, you know. And at the same time, uh, I was looking at opportunities of where I should be doing masters, and because I was so lewd about with what the family was talking about in Australia, and I said, well, why don't we give Australia a chance? And it so happened that the, my my colleagues, my friends who actually passed out my graduation with, they all wanted to go to Australia as well. So we were a group of five or six people, you know, who decided to go to Australia for for uh, higher studies, whilst a lot of the others went to the US or Canada. And um, and then it was just about you know getting it all aligned and ensuring we all want to do what we want to do. And uh, we landed here about 15 years ago. So it was. Quite exciting to land in Australia and continue to be here now. Between working a full-time job and running his own buyer's agency, Agrafal's average daily routine is both busy and long. I've actually got a full-time job uh, in, 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 a, in an IT sector um, and I work for a very large uh, global organization 
at a very senior position. And at the same time, um, you know, I've got my own now business going as well as a um, property buyers agency, which I've just kicked off a couple of months ago. And I'm still setting it up right to make sure that, you know, I can service my clients accordingly. So at this point in time, pretty much it's it's a juggling game between getting my full-time job uh, and, and my business going in parallel. Uh, but but it, it kind of starts at, say, as early as 5 a.m. in the morning, getting things through whatever needs to be done, put them behind the scene before I get ready for the job, come back here, and then, you know, in the evening I've got then client calls or appointments that I've set up with either referrals or, or clients themselves, and then pretty much end the day around 10, 30, 11 at night. So it's, it's a fairly long day for me that usually occurs on five days a week. Uh, so that's usually what happens. Although it's not easy, he's passionate about what he does and looks forward to the financial freedom he can gain from his business and investments. I think it comes down to, you know, uh, what you really want to achieve out of your life and where you want to really go. So for me, financial freedom was always my number one priority. And when I came in this country 15 years ago, I had no other option but, you know, get the education going, get get studies up and running, get finished masters, you know, um, find a job that can actually pay me well. And, and really, you know, it just kind of things went along as, as, as they were supposed to. And then suddenly, you know, start realizing that, uh, there's more to it, right, than than a, a full-time uh, job in a such a large corporation, and 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 you want more fulfillment and satisfaction that you want to achieve out of your life, right? And more time for yourself, for your family, and you want to do something that you know you you think you, you, you want to do as opposed to someone telling you what to do, right? Um, so as I grew in my organization, um, what started happening is my day-to-day job became from doing things or someone telling me to actually owning the work that I actually do at a senior management positions. So I actually run a part of the business for them. And um, and that's a fairly large scale work that we do. So that kind of enticed me to actually say, okay, you know what? I actually can do this. I can do my own business and I can run my own business. And it was only about three or four years ago when I started really thinking hard on this. And I said, what is it that I really want to do in the business? So I went through different business models in my mind and researched a lot about it. So I, I was looking at what my friends are doing or, you know, people generally do. And restaurants wasn't for me. I didn't want to get, you know, tied into another job pretty much. Then, so I said, no, I'm not doing restaurants. Definitely, that's not the line for me. Then franchises, I'm like, oh, I'm not really too keen about doing that. But something I want to do that I'm passionate about. After much discussion and consideration, he realized that a buyer's agency was the right business to get himself into. Whilst talking through that, a lot of friends of mine were doing investments into properties and shares and so forth, which I also started doing about eight to 10 years ago. Um, suddenly, like I'm thinking, okay, you know what? I'm at a point in my investment journey alongside while I'm doing my job that I'm actually starting to talk to people about property really well. And people are listening to me, right? And they're, they're hearing, they're taking my advice and they're reaching out to people that they should be to to help them in, in their journey and see how they can be financially set for themselves. So I thought this is great, right? Because I do consulting work at my job and I'm doing consulting work through passion, through property. So I said, I need to connect this through my business. So what's the best option? Then the ideas came around real estate agency and so forth. And then suddenly I was just looking around and I said, 
Well, there's there's a lot of people there are a lot of people doing real estate agency, but then I w- I have bought a few properties through my own portfolio, and I, I've always struggled to, you know, get the right price from a real estate agent because they only work for the vendors, and and then I'm like, okay, well, you're on your own, and because of the knowledge that I gained over these years, uh, because I like to read a lot about property and what's going on in our local property and and also international, uh, it kind of gave me an edge to talk to them in the right way. And really, you know, stand for myself where I want to buy, what I want to do, what should be the right price. And I said, well, this knowledge is useful, not just for me, for others as well. So how about I actually start looking at from the buyer's perspective? And when I did start researching uh, lately about that, and I actually found there's actually, you know, it's a fairly niche area to actually work in. And there are not a lot of buyer's agents around to actually really help the people. In fact, I was in a cab last night and... Um, after work, it got a little late. So I took an Uber and I was just talking to someone about it. He's like, oh, what does he do? He's like, oh, I do a bit of property investment. And um, I talked I talk to him about my buyer's agency business. And he's like, really? Something like that, does, does that even exist? I'm like, yeah, well, this is niche, right? This is why we're doing it. And he got really, really, really excited. The 25-minute conversation was really useful, very constructive. While he was driving, me being his client, driving me to my destination, he was so uh, loaded on knowing what it is all about. And um, at the end of that whole thing, it was almost like, oh, I, I can actually reach out to you, you know, for my next investment property. I'm like, right, right. So I think there's a lot of uh, obviously niche in this space. And it really kicks in when, you know, people start talking about property. And I thought, okay, well, uh, a few months ago, I said, well, property is, is, is an area and I want to explore that and I really want to turn my passion into and monetize it if I can. And that's really why, how I entered the actual buyer agency business. Back in India, his parents wanted him to get the best education possible. Pune is recognized uh, worldwide for its university. And actually, there's, there's people not only flocking from other states in India, but also international students that we actually attract a lot in Pune. And that was the whole reason of actually moving from Punjab, which is the North India where I was born, to actually Pune, because my parents wanted to make sure that we get the right education and, and the best quality education that you can actually get in the country. So so we headed, so that's, which, which is why the whole reason was to settle in Pune and, and, and grow, you know, um, uh, ourselves there and and the ch- and our childhood there. So I did my schooling in Pune. I did my graduation in Pune itself, as well. I passed out of the Pune University, uh, which is quite well renowned uh, as well, and that was very well recognized as part of the you know uh, applications for Australian universities as I wanted to do masters here, and 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 that, and that's really how the journey went in the education side of it. After always having an interest in technology, Agrafal pursued science and engineering at university. And it was more on the technical side mainly because, uh, you know, from the beginning I, I was always about, I, w- I was very inquisitive to open up anything, right? You give me an electronics in my hand, I would actually go and open it up and I see what, what's inside, right? And if something would some if something would work for you um, at home and or, or it needs repair, I would open it and give it a go, right? Whether it's a television, whether, you know, back then, um, you don't even have LCDs or CDs. So, you you know, you had those videotapes sort of thing, those big, big units. Right? So you open that up to see, okay, what's really going on? Why is it not working? Or even if you have to do maintenance, I would open things up and actually clean them up and, you know, put them back and close it. So very inquisitive in like, you know, really in that side. And then the passion really grew in, you know, in the engineering side. I said, okay, well, it, it really sounds good. So I, I think that's how I should pursue my education and, you know, uh, clear my uh, year, year 10, 12, 
and then get into the science degree to make sure that I can actually pursue engineering. Ah, oh, wow. Okay. And how many years was the engineering degree at uni? Uh, so that was four years at bachelor's um, in India. And um, it was always a battle between understanding uh, whether it should be engineering or commerce, because my family background is all in business, right? I'm the only one who's actually in, in, in a job industry until now. So it was it was a bit of a battle to actually see, okay, whether I should really be doing that or not, because I come from a business background. I have a business, uh, you know, uh, my, my, my father runs a large business as well. So is my, you know, close uh, fa- uh, family uh, my mother's side, my my father's side, all extended family members are into business. And it was a bit hard to actually choose between business versus my passion. And my passion was engineering because like what I just mentioned. So I said, okay, I'm going to go down a different path. Let me just pursue that education and then went down the engineering path. Yeah, wow. I think it's, it's important to pursue a passion because yes. you're going to have to do that for the rest of your life if that's what you want to pursue. And if you pursue something exactly. that, that the rest of the family wants, then you're not really, really you know, passionate about that. I mean, it's great to, to do it, but like, you know, at the end of the day, we end up changing. And I hear so many students who have gone uni, they start something that their parents want. In the end, they change back over to what they want to do two years in and then have to start again. So that, that's great to hear. So what year roughly did you come over from India to Australia to start your master's? Uh, so that was in 2004 um, when I actually came in here and um, that was the first time I landed in this country uh, to actually pursue my master's. Mm, that's great. So it's been good 14, 15 years that you've been in Australia. So yes. what's what's happened during that period of time? So you, you came here, pursued your master's, which went for how long again? So the master's was for actually one and a half year, but you actually had to supplement that with another year or so. I got credits for that to actually get a two-year degree to make sure that I was eligible to get a permanent residence in this country. Okay. So that was basically, if you put it, two to three years worth of studies and also experience together. What happened after that? So whilst I was actually studying here, you know, um, you obviously had to look after your living. So there's a lot of odd jobs that we did here. Uh, around that time. So um, whilst I was studying, I was only limited to 20 hours a week to actually work. So I had to take up something that could actually, uh, you know, uh, pay me well to keep my bills going. So I got into more into sales sort of an area and actually, you know, did a lot of door-to-door marketing sort of work and cold calling and, you know, warm calling, did a lot of customer service sort of work, call center work as well, uh, just to keep it going for me. And that was all, all as I was studying here in Australia. And then as soon as I finished, yeah, so it was, it was all like, you know, full on, you go to go job, you go to finish your stuff and you actually then study as well, make sure, you know, you're doing well in your education as well. So it's all happening in parallel whilst you're setting your feet in a new country. After working various jobs and saving as much as he could, Agrafal managed to pay off all his student loans and wanted to work out what to do next with his savings. So obviously, you know, when you come to this new country, you don't have the money that you actually need. I mean, I could have asked my father to give me some, but I actually refused it. I said, no, I'm going to do this all by myself. I want to make sure that I get educated in this country. I pay my own loan off, essentially, because I got a loan from India to actually do that. Uh, whilst I was studying and I finished studies, I got into a full-time job and actually paid my loan off as well. Uh, for for my own education and then it was all about you know okay well uh, I, I know I can save well 
right? Uh, I've got the habit of saving. Now, how do I take this to the next level and where can I actually take this to so I can actually get more financial freedom? Because that was always the thing in my mind that, you know, I don't want to work for the rest of my life. So I want to make sure that I can line this up, but probably needed a lot of money. So the 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 money I could save on the side, apart from paying bills, was I could actually start getting to share market. And that's what, that's what I actually started doing um, as an investment journey before I actually jumped into property, which was in, in, in 2010. Coming up after the break, learn how Agrifol made the switch from shares to property. I said, okay, well, it's a, it's a good time to buy now because the prices are bottom low. The details of his second purchase. So I've got a, it's rented out. Uh, doesn't cost me anything really to keep it going um, after tax, essentially. What held him back from his first property purchase? You know, everyone's got an opinion about it, right? And and then and and that's really what caused the whole delay for me. All that and more coming up next after the break. I'm Tan Shum, and you're listening to Property Investory. After paying off his student loans. He started to spend his extra cash investing in shares. Eventually, he decided to think more long-term and invest in Australian property. Shares was pretty much on my mind all the way through. So right from 2005 onwards, that's when I started trading on ASX and also uh, got into doing options as well. Um, I actually did a master's in options course to actually see if I could do well in that space and then traded equities um, on options in the U.S. market uh, before, you know, the GFC hit and uh, it was it all went down really badly. And I said, OK, well, this is not sustainable. Uh, it's a very high risk um, vehicle to to uh, to get your income going. So uh, then uh, obviously learned a lot about Australian economy and the way things work alongside. And then what I really found is that property seems to be an area which is a safe heaven, right, for a long-term perspective. So, um, and then, and that's really when it kicked in around the GFC period. I said, okay, well, it's a it's a good time to buy now because the prices are bottom low. And um, whilst Australia was really not, did not really see that GFC large impact, but there were ripples around it. You know, people were a bit, had a lot of fear in selling stuff, but that was probably the right time to actually start looking into the market and getting into it as a first-home buyer. Purchasing his first home in Australia took a lot of time and research to find the perfect home and investment. My own journey of actually finding my first house took me two years. So, so because I couldn't decide where I want to live. And, um, and I was living uh, for, the, for, for the years that I mentioned uh, prior to that, which was almost seven years. I actually lived in the, in the fringe of city in Melbourne. So if, uh, because the university was very close by and I really liked the city area. Coming from Mumbai, Pune, where you got a lot of people and nightlife going, I really wanted the same lifestyle. So I've never, never seen a suburban life before that. And it was very hard for me to decide which area and where am I going to buy this property because I didn't want to go out of the city. And I, didn't know, and I knew that city was not going to be a sustainable option in long term if it's going to be my house. So 
<laughs> so it's just kind of things putting off, but trying to really, really get that going and did a lot of research around that time. And that's when I actually started learning a lot about property. And I said, wow, okay, so there are indicators how, you know, the people want to buy there for reasons because it's a good schools out there or you know people just like the lifestyle the people or specifically like coming from india at that point in time there was a lot of migration from an indian uh, from an indian community perspective and and a lot of people were going in north north of Mel- um, sorry north of melbourne uh, or west of melbourne and i said well let me see where my friends are going and everyone just tag along right so and and a lot of people chose those two predominant locations and i said well if you have to live within the community then probably just follow and see you know where this takes you and then finally you know uh, for me the answer was west of melbourne where i want to actually really buy a property uh, based on the affordability as well and and the other uh, economics that actually stood around it and i said this is a good area and an area of growth where i think eventually this is going to pay off right so and that's happened so so i'm, I'm very happy that i chose the right in, right investment as a first home buyer since buying his first property agraval has now grown his portfolio and bought his second investment interstate I've got another one going up in uh, Brisbane, just north of Brisbane, uh, which I bought a couple of years ago. I bought a land and then built on it. So I've got a, it's rented out. Uh, it doesn't cost me anything really to keep it going um, after tax, essentially. So I'm very happy with that investment as well. So far, and there's, I've just heard like Brisbane, obviously a lot of investors have been pushed that side uh, generally because of you know um, property prices in Melbourne and, and New South Wales. But then, obviously, with the receding prices now, I think they're probably balancing it out. But having said that, a lot of infrastructure work going on up in Queensland. So I do see that there will be a significant growth in the next few years in that space. Yeah, that, that is very, very true. Which it yeah. all adds up, you know, when you look at the macro perspective of how things are progressing up in Queensland. There's a lot of great things that are happening. It's just um, <laughs> how fast will it move compared to, say, other states that are in Australia as well. Yeah. And no one's got a crystal ball as such, right? You can only rely on indicators and exactly what's happening and what you think it is. And and the, and, and the, the biggest thing out of this is my own confidence of what I think will really happen in terms of, you know, how, you know, there's a, there's a fair bit of intuition in it backed by the statistics that I actually use to buy properties. So um, I also bought another land recently in, in Tarnit, which is also close to where I live. Um, and that was also about a year and a half ago. And that's actually, you know, um, just on return on equities, about more than 300% uh, that I've actually seen. I'm not even built on it as yet. I've just recently settled. So, and it's going to go through another large, uh, big phase of growth. Uh, you know, whilst people are saying, uh, Melbourne, you know, don't buy in Melbourne because property prices are falling. People have fear right now as the prices have almost, you know, probably fallen back 15, 20%. If you look at the east side, it's probably gone even more. Uh, whilst there are pockets in Melbourne that are significantly growing in the same same economy, right? So uh, so I've got a bit of an eye for finding the right place, what I think is going to happen in the next, because for me, it's long-term, right? It's not a short-term trade-off. So for a long-term perspective, you know, where migration is happening generally from population perspective, the demographics of the space. So for me, strategy really plays in. And, and I look at it from that perspective before I zoom into which area and how I want to buy a specific property and so forth. So far in his investing journey, Agraval has struggled with balancing the opinions of friends and family and making the best investment decision for himself. 
I think it, it was during the first home buying, right? That was really, really hard to take action, right? Because there's just so much information out there. It just gets so confusing at the end of it. And then you've got your friends and family around you that actually, you know, makes it even worse because you're not really helping the situation. Whilst you've got certain ideas in your mind and what you want to do and how you want it, where you want it, uh, you know, everyone's got an opinion about it, right? And and then and and that's really what caused the whole delay for me for the you know that it took almost two years to actually buy my own first property, and I'm like, well, this doesn't you know what like there's just so much info there that can actually really get confused. I'm like, okay, well, start focusing on you know really on specific areas, research enough, hard enough that actually you can you know make your own decision as opposed to listening to people. Right? That was the hardest for me to take an action just because of the amount of information out there. The second investment uh, up in Brisbane was a lot easier uh, for me, and the the challenging component was that should I be buying in Melbourne or should I actually diversify and actually go elsewhere, right? And upon in time, again, lots of people talking about no, no, the prices are going to fall, which actually has happened in Melbourne. This is about two years ago, right? So we are seeing that right now in in New South Wales and and Victoria. So, uh, no, no, we shouldn't be buying it here. And, you know, you should, everyone's flocking up to uh, Queensland because that's the next safe haven area. And that's what we should be doing. And as I looking at that uh, area and, you know, generally overall Queensland, uh, how, how does it perform at the macro level? What's happening there? And then I said, okay, well, you know what? Now I'm that I'm an investor, I look at things differently for me. And then it was shifting from, I love this property to say, okay, does the numbers stack up for me? Right? What am I trying to achieve? And if, the, if I'm trying to achieve financial freedom, is this where it's going to grow? And and that's really where I hit the mark and spoke to a few people and got some professional advice as well, and then made my own decision to you know do this and 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 build something up in in that space. Um, yeah. So that's how it happened. Yeah. Okay. So basically, it was more about okay. Um, there's just so much noise around you lots of people with different opinions and it was just hard to take action because you didn't know who to listen to but when you actually reduced it down to just focusing on the facts and the actual information that is clear that is real without having too many opinions you actually were able to overcome that situation and really really take action to purchase those properly or the first property at least to get started exactly and and the, and the Brisbane one did not take me long to actually buy that was like okay i'm ready for another investment and uh, rather than you know looking at things that I did for my first one, Brisbane one was like, okay, well, a month of work here and there and then I'm done, right? This is what I'm doing, took an action straight up and uh, really got a very good deal, negotiated it off for myself and 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 just went off with that, right? So I believe in taking action. So if you don't take actions, you're not really going to do anything really, right? You know, that information is useless. On the positive end of the spectrum, the final split-second decision to purchase that Melbourne property is the highlight of his journey so far. And that's the Tarnit one, right, uh, which I mentioned. And and I'm like, when this Brisbane one was happening, at this point in time, was for me to, you know, look into, there was there was news around about, you know, Tarnit is going to grow massively and that's the next center, epic center point for from a satellite city perspective because Werribee is a satellite city um, that, that that they're building uh, to, the, to the next level. They're probably going to have the best education center up in Werribee. Uh, they're building, a, I think, an international stadium, a football stadium up in Tarnit as well. And there's a massive infrastructure going on in that space, uh, which I, you know, 
uh, got that information and bumped into it. And I said, this is what I want to do. I want to buy one and done it now and, uh, you know, lock myself into um, just research the area a little bit in about 10 days time. And I said, okay, well, I've, I know exactly where to buy and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up to the developer, negotiate a price if I can. And uh, the developer actually showed me something that was not even released to the uh, public as yet. Right. And he said, this is a new project that's coming up. It's not even advertised anyway. And this is just a piece of paper that the developer had actually bought the huge parcel of land. And he said, we're going to go up in this in two to three months time. But this is available now if you want to pick up a lot. And I actually bought it in stage one, right, back then. And I said, and it was, I was actually going for shopping into a shopping center. And I just stopped by to talk to this developer. And I walked out of that thing actually buying one for myself. That's how the quick the decision was, <laughs> right? Without any paperwork, uh, apart from the contract, without actually having any plans, apart from, you know, one piece of paper that he ha- held in his hand. It's a fairly renowned uh, developer from that perspective, so I'd, I wouldn't risk it otherwise. Um, and, 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 I, and, I, and I got that confidence and the feeling of what was really going on, and I said, I'm working out with this. I actually paid the deposit. I took up his laptop, and I said, you know what? You want to transfer the funds and you want this now? Give me your laptop and I'll transfer the funds to you. Gave him the deposit and I walked out with a receipt and a contract in hand. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> that's definitely taking action. <laughs> yes. And that's the one that's grown grown 300% right now, uh, just in such a short period of time, just simply sitting on the land for now. Mm, right. Mm. Um, and that was a wow moment now when I look back and I'm like, yes, I had a bit of a risk factor there, but it was calculated risk because you know that things are going to grow in this space anyway. Yeah, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, inspired by his story, we continue the conversation with Anubhav Agravar in a future episode of Property Investory. We will learn more about his strategies for investment. Where I actually want to see the capital growth for myself, uh, whereas previously it was more about uh, tax reduction. The advice he shares with his clients. I think there's there's just so much opportunity anywhere in the country right now. As well as the mentor that helped him along the way. I think he was a he was a great catalyst to get into this sort of business uh, because I was looking at something to do from a buyer's perspective. All this and much more on a future episode of Property Investory. To jumpstart your week, here's Mindset Monday where our real success in property isn't knowledge and skill, it's 70% psychology and mindset. Here's this week's mindset tip from wealth coach Jill McIntyre. You've shared some fierce stats with me before Jill that I think are so relevant in our thinking when wanting to make positive choices around property. Can you explain more? Absolutely and uh, I call it our ego and our thinking. Um, I do a lot of um, Andy Shaw's work. And for anyone that wants to follow Andy Shaw, his um, surname is S-H-A-W. He's an English guy. And he always talks about the little voice in our head that stops us. And it's our ego. And I don't um, think that I'm a person. I've never thought that I'm a person with ego. Or hoped I wasn't because the ramifications of all of that have stopped me in the past. But the more I started to think about it is my ego comes in and tells me I can't do something when I want to do it. And usually that can't mode will stop me from moving forward. 
And if you're going in and you're wanting to move forward in property, where our thinking is that if you're wanting to find a deal and you've got a deal that you think stacks up, 40% of your fears will be things in the future. I can't get into that deal. If I did the borrowing, I might lose my job. So that would stop you on your tracks. Then our mindset goes to 30% of our fears would be things from the past. Well, I've done a property deal in the past and it went skew with. And I lost a lot of money and man, and man, I don't know whether we've got to go over it. And so the feeling keeps on coming up more and more and more and that fear stops us in our tracks. So before we move forward, we've got 40% of our fears are in the future, 30% of our fears are in the past. 70% of what stops us are things that could happen and things that have happened that we can't change now. Keeping on going with our fears and the overall uh, percentages of them, 12% of our fears are on our health and well-being. And I always laugh about this, Tyrone, because I could say that I've got a, a sore toe today and I get on to Mr Google and uh, after half an hour, I've got gangrene in the time it needs to be amputated to start. <laughs> <laughs> we overthink. Yes. And yes, Google is fabulous, don't get me wrong, but we overthink these things and the little voice in our head keeps on telling us it's worse than what it really is, more often than not. Then we move on that the next 10% of our fears are miscellaneous. And the last 8% of our fears are really legitimate fears. And so you're stopping to think here that 92% of the fears are fears that we're making up ourselves, most of them. And of that remaining 8%, only 4% of those legitimate fears we can change. And that's a pretty mind-boggling thing because we spend so much of our time and thinking and space in a fear mode. Does that make sense with what I'm saying, Kaya? Absolutely. It's so powerful what you've said. There is a very, very easy solution to get over your fears and to stop that little voice in your head. And it's for you to turn your thinking and stop and just put yourself into a state that I'm not going to think about the future, the past right now. I'm focusing on the now. If you focus on the now... You won't be worrying about all of the fears, what if, what could, what has, all of those aren't important. So think about the now, live in the now, because the more that you can raise your consciousness in the now, the greater the outcome is going to be for you. Mm -hmm. So until next time, enjoy.